I want to talk about something today um, because I feel like there is a a shift that God has been dealing with me about for the last couple of months, and I believe that because I, uh, the Lord has given me the responsibility of leading this particular body, I believe this shift is pertaining to all of us. Um, and today we're going to attempt to work on two questions, or two massive questions, so in any way we're not going to exhaust the subject, but we're going to talk a little bit today on sort of why am I here and what's my purpose? Now, we're not going to get into specifics of what your purpose is because I believe God has a specific purpose and plan for each and every one of our lives. It's crafted from the very moment we are conceived, actually before we're conceived in our mother's wombs. It's crafted from the beginning of time. God has a plan and purpose for us. He knew on September 20th, 2020 at 1024 p.m. that I would be sitting right here. You say, well, I don't really believe that. Well, your faith is your faith and my faith is my faith. But I believe, according to the word of God, he knew I was going to be here if I'm walking in his will for that divine purpose. So we're not going to get into the specifics. We're going to talk about some 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 bigger picture things than that. Um, because there is a specific way God has tailored this to each, each one of our lives. But I believe that there is sort of um, a bigger picture here. So we're going to zoom out a little bit today. We're going to look at sort of two those two questions, why am I here and what is my purpose? Because uh, if you really look at sort of the way we approach our life and um, without any conscious thought, it's sort of just carried into um, our walk with Jesus. And that is we being in America for most of us, not not every country has this same um standard living. So I believe they, I've been to those countries and it's a different outlook uh, for sure. But I'm just going to speak today from the American perspective because that's the really the only one I can speak of. I'm not, I don't carry any other uh, passport in my pocket. So I, I would not even try to acknowledge or dare to try to think or to um, uh, pretend to have a perspective of another uh, country or another citizen of another country. I'm just going to speak of from the American perspective. And that is, we have this sort of uh, uh, expectation in America. We expect a certain level and a certain lifestyle for most of us. We have been, uh, we've been kind of, uh, we've, we've fallen victim to the American dream that um, we should be expected to have a certain lifestyle. Advertising today in this country is uh, based on trying to get you to uh, uh, to to feel as if you don't have a certain product that your your quality of life or that your your happiness is not what it could be that if you had this so if you have that new car if you have that new outfit you have that house you have certain um, certain um, uh, matrix that will uh, sort of uh, these these certain benchmarks if you have these certain benchmarks then ultimately you can achieve levels of success um, if you have this job and you have the potential to make more money over here then it's a no-brainer always go for the more and so we have this kind of desire for more and then we also have this other idea that we are on this earth and uh, we're going to put in our time whatever that is 30 35 40 years depending on what our career uh, arc looks like so that in the end when we get to the end we can retire and finally really enjoy life i mean i heard i saw a bumper sticker one time that says life doesn't begin until after retirement i hope that's not the case uh i'm really disappointed if that's really true um, because at this point in time, when you're in uh, the ministry, there's no retirement plan. So if life begins after retirement, then I am really, 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 uh, uh, I'm in trouble. I better try to find a different career path. So I don't believe that's the case. In fact, I know some of you that are approaching retirement, you're actually looking at other things to do in your life because you're not ready to retire even though it's time to move on with other things. So we kind of have this expectation, and um, there's also this idea that as you go through life, if you can accumulate more, the more you accumulate, the more success you have. Therefore, the more you should have experience of, 
of utopia. So we borrow money to buy things we should never buy. We go into debt buying things that we should probably never own. And then we don't have anywhere else to store everything that we've accumulated and all the debt we have, we end up having to buy or to go rent storage units that cost us more money to store more stuff that we don't know what to do with, but we pay too much money to get rid of it. So we have storage units to put the stuff in. So we're paying money to keep our stuff And so the vicious cycle continues. And so without realizing it, we bring this mentality into our walk with God because we have this idea that God is trying to basically um, help us with this. And this is all really based off this illusion that God wants us to have our best life. And I put that best life into quotations because I think the word best life is a very... um, uh, It's a subjective word because what you would consider your best life and what I would consider my best life may not be the same thing. Um, And so we have this idea that God wants us to have our best life. And so, in fact, there have been um, preachers and ministers that have written books on how do you have your best life now. But I said this Tuesday night, and it's something that we all need to understand, that God did not come to make bad people good. That Jesus did not come to this earth to make bad people good. He came to this earth to make dead people live. And so in the framework of that, we have to understand that this sort of um, best life now is played out really by looking no further than to the self-help movement that has kind of taken over this country. I read this statistic and I thought it was quite staggering that in 2016, the self-help industry through literature and teaching and training, the self-help industry was a 10 billion B, billion with a B, the self-help industry was a $10 billion industry. By 2022, that number is expected to climb to $13 billion, uh, the self-help industry. We're talking about in this country alone. We're not talking about globally. We're talking about in the U.S., of A. Uh, we are so desiring to find the American dream that we have a $10 billion industry just trying to help us become better versions of ourselves. And uh, that's grown to $13 billion by 2022. And estimates are by 2030 that will be a $30 billion, $30 billion industry. What's interesting is, and I did a little research, and I'm maybe sure that it wasn't exhaustive, so maybe there's some holes in my research, but let's just go with it for a moment, uh, that really the basis of the self-help industry started in, um, by the man uh, named Samuel Smiles. Uh, apparently, he needed a lot of self-help because uh, he needed to smile more. No, it's just a bad joke. His name was Samuel Smiles. In 1859, he wrote a book entitled Self-Help. And in that, he tried to bring the basis for self-help. What's interesting is that Smiles is best known for one of his most famous sayings that some of us don't even realize is attributed to him, but is the one who penned it. And that is, heaven helps those who help themselves. This was really part of the basis of Smiles' self-help attitude, and that is... Uh, that heaven helps those who help themselves. And because of that, um, self-help has become sort of the basis for our autonomous society where we have, uh, where the value of self, where the opinion of self has been elevated above everyone else. That uh, in an autonomous society, uh, there is no room for uh for different opinions because my opinion is valid and your opinion is valid. But if you don't agree with my opinion, then you're wrong. But if you don't accept my opinion for what it is, then you're judging me. So we all walk around frustrated, upset, or we get keyboard courage and we go online and we rant and we share things on our keyboard trying to share our viewpoints, seeing if we can get likes or see if we can stir up comments. And then we spend all day defending ourselves from the darts thrown at us in the comment box because apparently we have nothing else better to do. But the problem with this is that man has exalted himself with this attitude. Man has exalted himself to be sort of this supreme 
being. And really, when you've done that, God, instead of being the supreme, the creator, God has become an accessory, someone that comes alongside. He really is our co-pilot. He's the one that cleans up our mistakes. He's the one who can right the ship when it gets off course so that we can again take the wheel. But he's also the one that should keep us from pain. He's the one that should answer our prayers when we ask them because these prayers are necessary for us to achieve what we perceive to be our best self and our best life now. So prayers are no longer requests based off the will of God. Prayers become petitions playing the spiritual lottery hoping that if I could pray or do these certain things then God is going to intrinsically bless me and I'm going to live the best life now. And there's lies spewed all over the internet, all over television by preachers telling you that if you live with God, you're going to have this standard of living, this idea. If you're going to live for God, there's blessings, there's checks in the mail, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, you're never going to be sick. You're going to have money you growing out of your ears. You're going to go on vacation. You're going to have cars. You're never going to have problems. If you have anything going on in your life, all you're going to do is speak a few words and boom, magically poof, all your problems are going to be disappeared. The fact of the matter is, my friend, there is nothing in the Bible that's really speaking truth to that. Because if that's the case, then I really don't trust the words of any of the apostles that wrote. Peter, Paul, all those guys were frauds because their life was just completely messed up. Go back if you don't believe me. Read all the things Paul went through. How many times he was beaten. How many times he was shipwrecked. How many times he was hungry. How many times he was didn't have any clothes to wear. He was cold. He was, he was, he was impoverished. That didn't seem like a great life, but he had the best life because he was ultimately walking in the will of God. And because of this, preachers have morphed. Instead of speaking the word of God, preachers have morphed into this sort of quasi-spiritual pursuit of becoming more of life coaches, psychologists, motivational speakers, etc., and really, sometimes sermons, and I use that term, even sermon is not a biblical term. Sermons are now spoken uh, to, uh, instead of to get us closer to God, sermons are uh, spoken to really uh, raise our life standard. And so because of all this, we move farther and farther and farther away from God's intended design for us. Remember, we started talking about why am I here? What's my purpose? Because if you go back in scripture, there's some things that I find to be quite interesting. Over and over again, especially in the New Testament, starting in the Gospels, you see a theme repeated over and over again, that God is an eternal, he is, he is the infinite being. Infinite and eternal are two separate words because infinite has no end, but it had no beginning. That's God. God had no beginning, he has no end. The eternal has no end, but it had a beginning. We are eternal beings. God is an infinite being. But if you go through scripture and you begin to see especially play out in the words of Jesus as we move through the New Testament, we find repeated over and over again this theme where God's trying to get you and I to keep get our minds on eternal things and not temporal things. Is that God is more desiring about the eternal instead of the temporal. Now, this is important in understanding these things because if you would take a quick survey of your life, if you would take a quick, honest approach and a, and a quick um, assessment of your life, of your prayer, of prayer time, of even of your devotion to God, or even why you even walk with Jesus Christ, I wonder if those that assessment would be based off its temporal value or its eternal value. You see... If your entire being is based off in your entire walk with God, your relationship with God, your desire to know Him, prayer, all those things, if that's simply for the temporal benefit of that, you're going to live a very frustrated and unfulfilled life, and more than likely, you're going to start to morph God into whatever you need Him to be to make your life better. You're not going to pray to get closer to Him. You're going to pray because that's what's necessary to petition the Almighty God so He can find favor on you to make this life better. You're not going to read your Bible because you want God's Word in your heart that you might not sin against Him. You're going to put the Word of God in your life because you want more Word in you because if you read your Bible, somehow that gets on God's good side and therefore He'll pour out more blessings. You're not going to be a part of the body of Christ because it's something that you need to do and it's a connection to others that are going to the same place you're going. You want to be a part of that so you can love others as Christ loves you. You're not doing that. You want to be a part of the church that's going to give you the best opportunity to be successful. And so all of a sudden this begins to morph. 
Now, let's go to the other side of that for a moment. I'm going somewhere today. I'm just taking a little while to get there because there's some very important points. The other side of this is that God's not all about the eternal either. And I say that because he is about it, but in the sense we don't think, because if it's just about us and you and I make it into eternity, then ultimately, as I said it before, once you have, once you, once you have moved into that point where you, where you have, where you have believed in Jesus Christ and you have stepped into faith with him and you've received his spirit in your life with the evidence of speaking in tongues and being baptized in the name of Jesus, all this as the scripture has commanded. Once you've gone through those steps and you have stepped into the kingdom of God, then at that point God shall strike you down dead boom out of here whether you are 10 years old or 200 years old at that point in time God should say boom you're done you did it congratulations you have reached the level in which I wanted you to do you have you have crossed over congratulations wham I mean that's ultimately would be the best way to do because I have to be honest with you a life in heaven with Jesus, in eternal peace and joy, and living in the presence of God 24-7 in a place where no one ever grows old, there's no sorrow, no pain, sounds a whole lot better than living here. No matter how good your life is or how poor it is, it's a lot better up there in heaven than it is here. Let's just be honest, okay? Uh, this place ain't heaven. All right, that's one of the greatest revelations you'll never know. It's not very good English, but it's a good revelation anyways. This ain't heaven. You can never pray enough. You can never ask God enough. You can never fast enough. You can never read your Bible enough that God's ever going to make this heaven. It's never going to be. So why is God leaving us here in a life that's full of pain and suffering and cruelty and injustice where we're hurt, we're abused, we're misused? And oh, by the way, we got to deal with this stuff called flesh that just, oh, it's always trying to pull you down. Just take me. Take me home, Jesus. Take me home. John Denver said, country road, take me home to the place where I belong, West Virginia. I'm going to change the lyrics. I'm going to say... Jesus, take me home to the place where I belong. The golden streets, the golden path, the pearly gates with St. Peter welcoming me in to the place I belong. That's ultimately the, the goal, right? So why does God leave us here? A mean old God leaving us down here so we can earn our way. No, you don't earn your way into heaven. You walk in faith. So why? Well, let's get into that for a moment because I think if we answer this over the next few minutes, we're going to discover why we're here and what's our purpose. Because God is always testing. He's always teaching and always testing. And he's testing and teaching because he's trying to further our growth. But also he's trying to continue to shape us into his image. Because we are salt and light. The Bible talks about. We are salt and light. Do you know right now, if you have a mirror, put a mirror up next to you. Or look across wherever you may have a mirror. Look in that mirror. And do you know what you see? When you look at that mirror, I want you to see something. Don't see who you are. That's the reflection of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you say that I said it to some of you, and you don't, you don't believe me any more than if I said aliens are landing in my backyard right now. You wouldn't believe me. But the fact of the matter is, when I look in that, I've got a reflection right now, uh, right behind the camera. I look in that reflection, I see, I see my face coming back. But if I look hard enough, that's not just my face. That's the reflection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how's that possible? Because you know what? For a lot of people, the people in my neighborhood, the people that am I, I'm connecting with, that's the only Jesus they're ever going to see. So the more God is working in my life, the more he's training me, the more he's teaching me, the more he's molding me, the closer I'm getting to his image, the more that I am decreasing, that he is increasing in my life because I want others not to see me, but I want them to see Jesus. Well, you know what? There's tests that come with that. So we're going to look at one particular test for a moment, and then we're going to get through a couple of examples uh, today to kind of illustrate this point. There's a very, very, very famous um story of the Bible, one of my, my, probably my favorite book of the Bible for a lot of different reasons is the book of John. I don't believe you can say one book of the Bible is better. Some of you say, well, I've got a favorite verse. It's really hard to pick out one verse. It's like trying to pick your favorite child out unless you only have one child. But if you, you have multiple children, there's no way you can say you, that you have a favorite because you love each and every one of them uniquely because they are unique. So it's really hard to say I have a favorite book of the Bible. I have a favorite 
verse of the Bible, chapter of the Bible. Maybe you do. God bless you. More power to you. I don't. However, if I had to choose, I would probably say the Gospel of John is my favorite book of the Bible because I think it's one of those books that you could read 5,000 times and never truly get to the depth of it. There's so much richness in the Gospel of John. Uh, it goes into such depths. Um, and even after years of studying it, reading it, I feel like in some ways I haven't even scratched the surface of it. However, there's a very famous story in chapter four. Um, and most of the time I've used this, I've, I've probably preached in the story as much as I have had any story in the Bible. John chapter four is the story where Jesus, uh, goes through the town of Samaria to meet, to meet the woman at the well. Now, I'm not going to go into the story at the woman at the well. I want to actually go back to right before the story begins or right when the, basically when the story is unfolding. And I want to look at one verse here. Uh, and we'll start at verse 1 to make sure you understand what the context is. John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, those Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of, he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink. And then it tells us something as he steps into this conversation. John reminds us of something that just happened. And he said here, the last verse, verse number eight, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, John tells us that if you're reading that verse you probably skip through that or read it and don't understand the full context of that. But I want to take the time for a moment to look at this because this was a test. Unfortunately, they completely failed this test, but it was a test anyways. So let's paint the picture real quick here, not to go into the depth of it because it's not what I want to do today, but let's go to the depths of it just for a second. And that is... This woman was coming to the well. If you read the story, you understand and study the context of the story. She was not coming to the well in town because based off her lifestyle and who she was and what she was dealing with, she actually came to the well outside of the city because Jesus said he sent his disciples into the city to buy food. If it was the well in the city, he would have left them. Why send them into the city? They're in the city. So when he sent them into the city, it gives us a clue that usually cities had multiple wells. One was in the city for the citizens to be able to draw their water from because it was a shorter walk. Other wells were located on the outside of the city and were used for either irrigation or for feeding livestock. Well, guess what? This woman was near the one feeding livestock. Number one. Number two, she came at the worst time of day the heat of the day, so she came not only to the well that was the dirtiest, but also to the time where it was the hottest, where no one would be there. That kind of gives us the psyche of what kind of woman we're dealing with here. But Jesus says he sent his disciples into the city. Now, play it out for me for a moment, okay? So let's paint the picture. You have this city. We say city, but we think of cities nowadays. Most cities in this country are not really defined as borders because we, you know, I live in a, in the city of Glen Burnie, but that's really a zip code because you barely know when you go from Glen Burnie to Severna Park, Severna Park to an, it just is one giant, um, one giant city. So it's really hard. But in that time, usually a city, or we would call it more like a village, was really a collection of homes and buildings and things of that nature. And then it was usually surrounded by emptiness. It was either farming or other uh, maybe terrain, uninhabitable terrain or other things. So it's very easy to distinguish where the city was. So picture this, right? Jesus is going. He's on this trip. He says to the disciples, i got to go to Samaria. He goes. He uh he gets the outskirts of the city. He sees the well. I'm sure the path is here. The well's off, kind of off a few few paces from the well. He looks at his disciples and says, Hey, go into the city, and I want you to get us some food. Now, the well is sitting here. So Jesus comes and sits down at the well. But I guarantee you, knowing Jesus, he watched this happen. Because he knew, he knew the end from the beginning. Now, let's just be honest. If it was about food, Jesus could have just said, Hey, you know what? He could have arranged food. 
It wouldn't have been hard for him to arrange food. He could have brought food. It wouldn't have been easy. It would have been easy. He could have just arranged food and you know brought food. But it wasn't about the food. It was about the test of the disciples. Because he said to the disciples, go into the city and buy food. So here they go, right? They're walking along. Can I even do it? Oh, yeah, look, look. You can see on the table. They're walking along. This. And guess what? They're walking in the city. Guess who's coming out of the city? Yep, you guessed it. The woman at the well. We never know her name. She's just referred to the woman at the well. So they're walking into the city. She's walking out of the city. They pass. But no dialogue takes place. For whatever reason, whether it's their perceived notion based off of her, her nationality, because she being a Samaritan, they being Jews, there was a lot of racial uh, and ethnic conflict there. So there was a complete separation. If you were a Jewish man, you did not deal with Samaritans, especially a Samaritan woman, because even the woman at Samaria, the well, said, hey, how are you talking to Jesus? How are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan? Even that, a woman. So obviously there was a disconnect here. So more than likely, they probably kind of stepped a little off to the side of the street here and didn't want anything to do with it. Kind of like, you know, if you look back on it, and not going this today, but the, the story of the Good Samaritan, it was the priest and the Levite. It was the holy one, the religious one that stepped to the other side of the street. Didn't want to have anything to do with this fella, but it was the Samaritan who found his way to his aid. The disciples walked by her. They didn't even acknowledge anything about this woman. They weren't walking in an understanding of looking past and looking at someone through the eyes of Jesus. They were looking at it through their own cultural eyes. They were looking at it through their own understanding, their own thought process. And so they watched this woman walk by and she was about to have an encounter that changed her life forever. But the disciples missed the test. Because later on, after this dialogue, and if you've never read the story, I suggest you go back and read it. It's a fascinating story. You would love it. But later on in verse number uh, 27, this is the end of the story. After all this amazing stuff had happened and this dialogue between Jesus and this woman, verse 27 says this, At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. What? I imagine it was a little bit of like, uh... Of course he sent us the way. And no wonder he sent us away. He's trying to get you know, he's trying to talk to this woman. I mean, wow, what's up? What's Jesus up to? And he says to them, he talked to women, yet no one said, What do you seek? And why are you talking with her? They never asked a question. You notice they just assumed they never asked a question. Then the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man. Who told me of things that I never, I've never, i ever did, all things I've ever did, could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, I love this. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. They're still not getting it. They're looking at the food and Jesus is like, you dudes can't get it, man. You don't get it. It's not about the food. You're working on the temper. I'm trying to get you to look at the eternal. You're worried about providing the need. If, you, if you're hungry, I'll, I'll give you bread. I can make five loaves and two fishes into a feast. You're worried about food. If I'm hungry, I will eat. In fact, I am the bread of life, my brother. I can make it. I'll be okay. But they're so wrapped up in their temporal being, they say, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus just claps back at them and thunders and says, I have food to eat which you know not of. Therefore, his disciples said one another, has something still there. These guys are absolutely the most hard-headed, stubborn, just where's their head? Where's their head? It's not about the food. It wasn't about the, the food. They were, they were missing what Jesus was trying to get them to see. And they said, hey, Rabbi, eat. He said, I've got, I've got, I've got bread. i got food you know not of. And they, their response was, it wasn't, well, give me some. I want some of that because I need some of that food. Their, their response to him was, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus finally was like, y'all ain't getting it. Y'all ain't getting it. I'm just going to tell you the way it is. And Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months and then come the harvest. And then he gave them the whole point of the entirety of the exchange. He said, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. I noticed the word, lift up your eyes. 
at the fields. They are already white for harvest because these men understood that the purpose of Jesus Christ coming, he said it from the very beginning, that I've come to seek and save that which was lost. But he sat on that well that day and he said, fellows, go get me some food. And they thought they were going to get food, but he was setting them up for a test and he sat there and watched them for a moment. They walked off in the distance. They put their head down. They had their head on their own situation. They were mumbling and starting to talk about how, what food should we get? What do you want today? You want burgers? You want pizza? You want chicken? You want Chick-fil-A? You want McDonald's? You want to get pizza? You want to go out and get, what, what do we want to eat today? We want fish? We want fish sticks? We want hot pockets? What do we want? They're walking, they're standing out. And here comes somebody whose life is broken, whose life is shattered, whose life is in need, who is absolutely at the end of a rope, who's hurting, who is dealing with shame and rejection and is needing someone to bring life and hope. And she walks right by them, but they're too busy on their temporal world, on their temporal being. And you know what? They had every justification in the world because they said, well, we're doing what Jesus wants us to do. He said, go get bread. We're, we're going to get bread. But no, Notice this, they weren't connected enough to the purpose of the Father to get distracted by the moment. They were so connected to the moment that they missed the purpose that Jesus came to seek and save that which lost. And notice what Jesus finally said to them. I noticed this just a couple of days ago. I've always looked at it from one perspective, but when you read it and you look at it in their, in their eyes, he said, lift up your heads. Get your eyes up, fellas. I watched you. Now, he didn't say this here, but I'm sure this had to be. He didn't actually say, fellas, I sat here and watched you walk past that woman. And you had your head down. And you were so worried about where you were going and what your life was about. You missed the whole purpose. Do you not understand that the fields are all around you? That there are hurting and people that need the message that I've given you and the hope that I've brought you because I've come to seek and save that was law, but you're too caught up in the temporal that you missed it. Oh, my friend, today we are surrounded by so many people that if we would... Look at them through God's eyes, through the eyes of Jesus Christ. What would we see? Are we really just so enamored with our life that we're just worried about the next meal? Are we just worried about the next answered prayer? Are we worried about what is going on in my life? Do you have problems? Yes. But you know what? I've learned something about life. Problems beget problems. When you get rid of this problem, guess what's going to happen? You've got another problem. There's never going to be a time in your life where you're going to go, whoo. All problems are finished. No more problems. You know what? That's called heaven, and we ain't heaven yet, my friend. Because there's going to be a coming day where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more grief, no more goodbyes. That's called heaven. It ain't earth. That's heaven. So until we get there, expect things will continue as they are. But His grace is sufficient. But I want to take just another five or ten minutes or so. I want you to just a moment. Walk with me for a moment. Let's use our imagination for a second, all right? Use our imagination. And let's look at some people in the Bible. Let's flip the script. Because we know these stories, we know who they are, but let's flip the script. Let's use a modern idea and interpretation of the kind of people they were. And let's see what kind of people. Would they be people we want to hang out with? A couple of weeks ago on Right at Home, we asked, what three biblical characters outside of Jesus would you like to have dinner with? Man, we had some phenomenal answers. Man, some of y'all came up with some Killer answers. I loved it. I mean, it wasn't just like you were pulling out names, man. There was stuff people were thinking about how one character would interact with the other, and what it was just phenomenal, man. Everybody was there. Were, we had a bunch of different combinations of of these characters that were like, oh, that would be awesome. Wow, that'd be awesome. But we're really reading them based off the Bible and what the Bible says about them in the whole story. But we're just going to look at some of these characters in the Bible from a modern interpretation. All right, so let's talk about the first guy. The first guy, he's got a failed construction company. Um, he's a little loony. Um, he spends most of his days building some kind of large contraption and yelling at those that walk by. Um, he has basically spent his entire life, for as long as anyone has known him, building this somewhat weird eyesore in his backyard. And um, he said he wanted to... St Who starts a cruise ship company in the middle of Kentucky? Why would you want to start a cruise ship company in the middle of nowhere. And on top of that, the dude said he wants to start a zoo, but no one can come to the zoo. 
He wants to start a zoo, but it's just for the protection of the animals for some strange reason. I don't know what he's doing. Um, this next guy, uh, he's the ultimate deceiver. This guy is, he is, uh, he's a seedy character. He is a con. He conned his own brother out of the family will. Can you believe that? Conned his own brother out of the family will. Um, he's also, I heard, he's being questioned by the police for identity theft. In fact, I heard that he faked his identity um, in the whole process of getting the will signed. In fact, on top of that, his mother is also under suspicion by the police for being his accomplice in this grand scheme. This fraud. He's really a fraud. Uh, just uh, just not a good guy at all. Um, this other guy, you, you got you to gotta know about this one guy. He grew up in one of the richest families in the world. I mean, he literally had everything you could ask for. He never had anything he wanted, had the finest education. But the problem was, like every spoiled rich kid, uh, he had a temper problem. He had a discipline problem. One day he was out and about, lost his temper, killed a dude. And uh, last time I heard, he was a fugitive um, running, um, running around. Uh, he fled the country. In fact, last time I know, he was wandering around on the, out in some far off place, just wandering around. Uh, living uh, sort of this uh, inconspicuous life, trying to stand on the radar. Just a just a sad case of a spoiled life, of just an absolute wasted life. This next guy, another. These people are just not very good people. This next guy was um, he was born um, as a result of a, an adulterous scandal. Oh boy, you talk about if you ever have time. This was a scandal and a half. Boy, I tell you what. Um, He's also apparently been wanted uh, for questioning and a plot to overthrow the government. And uh, for a while, he was considered uh, enemy of the state number one. He was uh, the number one known um, terrorist in the country and um, also a fugitive. And the last time I heard uh, news about him, the dude is wanted for first degree murder. Crazy. First degree murder. What a messed up character this guy is. Uh, this next guy, well, I tell you what, I don't know if you ever want to meet any of these people. This next guy is one of the biggest cowards ever. Just crazy. Um, he he is a fearful dude. He, he battles with immense fear. He battles with crazy insecurities. Um, he one of those guys where he's sort of afraid of his own shadow, if you know what I mean. Um, he, he just He's afraid of everything. He's just a hypochondriac. The guy is afraid of everything. He's always worried, always fearful. Um... In fact, most of the time, if you ever if you if you ever see him, he's always kind of hiding away. He doesn't like to come out. He's kind of scared to even show his face. He's always hiding behind stuff. Um, and um, I tell you what, if you ever want somebody in a fight, he's the last guy you want to call. He, the best way to describe him, he's just a weak. He's just a weak coward. I mean, if you want, if you ever need somebody in a fight to stick with you, bad idea. Don't call this guy. Um, uh, the list is just rough today, folks. The next one is even worse. Um, uh, this woman is a she's a prostitute. She makes her living on seduction and deception. Everybody in town knows her, but no one dares to speak for her to her because they are fear of association. She's literally considered to be the lowest of society. Uh, her friends and family want nothing to do with her. She's just just not a very good person. Men use her. Women despise her. Even society, they scoff at her. Um, she's one of those people that, you know, pain and suffering are sort of her closest companions. Uh, some would call her a woman of the night. But I think most of the time, if you see her, she looks like she's just sad. Uh, even though... I heard at night she comes alive, but most of the time when I've seen her around town, she's just a very sad person. Oh, this next guy, his house, can I tell you this? His house is absolutely the eyesore of the neighborhood. Um, it's this unkept little shanty tucked in actually next to between really two really nice homes. But this guy, his house is a joke. Um, it, the yard's unkept. 
uh, paints peeling, shingles have fallen off. There's stuff all over the yard. I don't remember the last time I seen a lawnmower out there. Uh, no bush has ever been trimmed. Um, there is literally stuff scattered everywhere. Weeds have completely taken over. Um, in fact, I was watching the other day, the Amazon driver pulled up to the house. He didn't even want to approach the house. He just kind of tossed the, uh, tossed the package to the front door, had nothing to do. And, and when the guy opens the door, he's, of course, when you open the door, he's blind. Um, he's just this frail, blind guy. Uh, that's, it's just sad. Uh, he's no real fr- family that helps him out. He just sort of exists. Uh, but it's just, uh, it's a sad situation, but I really wish he'd do something with that house or maybe one day he'll move out the neighborhood because I tell you what, he is killing the property values in our neighborhood right now with that house because nobody wants to live there. Uh, this next guy, boy, I tell you what, just to even talk about him makes the hair on my skin crawl. If you see him, he's usually dressed in all black, got tattoos everywhere. He is I mean, every part of his body you can see is pierced with something or got a tattoo. He's one of those guys that you just see him and makes everything crawl in you. In fact, he likes to, the, 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 what I've heard, I don't know if it's true or not, but what I've heard is he loves to hang out in the cemetery at night. And if you go by the cemetery at night, you can hear him screaming and howling and barking at the moon. And uh, man, I tell you what, woo, just... Ooh, just being near him sometimes, if you know, I mean, it, it's it's just it just makes everything crawl. And in fact, what's even worse, what a just absolute, just I don't know, man. Just he, this guy is a just a total bum, and what a just a a, a horrible human being. He left his wife and his children desolate, goes off into this craziness, you know, weird and things. I mean. Black, I mean, just a, just everything about him is just dark. In fact, I would suggest if you ever see him, probably best to stay away. Because, I mean, I'm telling you what, if you get too close, he's mentally unstable and he's got a lot of stuff going on. And more than likely, if you get too close, you might get hurt or whatever's on him may jump on you. So just a piece of advice, don't go near him. Um, this other guy, ooh, the best way I can describe him, he's a traitor, just an absolute traitor. I don't even know what to say. This guy turned his back on his fellow countrymen. I mean, really, the guy should be executed. He went to work for the most hated company in the whole entire nation uh, in their accounts receivable department. In fact, he's the kind of guy, what a jerk. This guy is actually the one who goes and collects the unpaid bills of widows and the and the, the blind and the hurting. I mean, he has no heart. This guy is just a heart. Just, I mean, who? what church would ever want this guy in? I mean, this is not the kind of guy you want to come to your church. Um, just, just a heartless. In fact, really, if you ever look up the term sinner in the dictionary, you're going to see the picture of this guy. This guy's absolute scumbag. The best way I can describe him. I'm not trying to be judgy, but, you know, that's who he is. Two more people that just make sure you steer clear of. The next guy, complete hothead. In fact, he's done several stints in anger management courses. I don't think they've worked. Um, in fact, you know, this guy's not only is he a hothead, he's done anger management, but completely un- unstable. In fact, I heard he just one day up and quit his his work and then went off to you know chase some guy that's a dreamer or something i don't know who this guy was but apparently he just left his left his left his entire business walked out and i don't know he's been wandering around somewhere in the countryside for a while now following some dude i don't even know the guy's name just it's just sad that people do that in fact the last time i heard he was wanted for attempted murder and um in fact i actually i think he's an atheist actually he is because he's denied um he even denied the existence of christ what a just you know any what an atheist i mean he's completely denied every he he just doesn't even believe there is he just doesn't believe he just denied christ at all that guy and then finally this last guy um he is one of the most most uh, seedy and just absolutely dogmatic prosecutors in the entire city. In fact, he's the kind of guy that if you look up the word injustice on in, in the dictionary, you're going to see his name because he is the king of injustice. Because this guy, uh, it's sad, um, um, he has imprisoned more innocent people than I know of anybody. I mean, it's just prisons are filled with innocent people that this guy's personally arrested. He has literally taken father's out 
uh, away from their children. He has pried mothers out of the arms of uh, the, the uh, of their crying babies. Um, he has uh, literally split up families. Uh, one of those guys you never want to meet. And if you ever, if you ever get on his radar, my just suggestion to you would be run, run, don't mess with him. Now, I just gave you about a eight or nine different assessments of people uh, that you uh, don't want to have anything to do with because you know what? There are people all around us every day that. We face maybe people in our neighborhood, people in our job, people we pass in the store. You just better off steering clear because they're just not good people. They're 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 just bad. They they what they the way they dress, the way they act. Just stay clear. But gee, that's looking through people. That's looking at people through these eyes, not through his eyes. You see, because there is a world that is hurting, my friend. And you know what? It's not about just you and I and what we can do. And we are monopolizing God's time to make my life better so that I can have all my prayers answered so I can have time tonight to chill and watch a movie because everything in my life is perfect. God said everything so I can have a day off. And God bless me so I can make enough money so I can retire early so I can move to Florida and I can do what's necessary and I want to move to Florida, get a nice pool, live next to a golf course and the beach. And that's what God I want so help me out of here. And God God's looking around and saying, I didn't leave you here so I could make your life perfect. I left you here because there's a world that's around you that's needing to hear the message of hope that I've given you. Freely have you received, freely give. I've come to seek and save that which are lost. But I've come, I've gone to be with my Father, but I've left you here to carry my image because it's through you that there's a harvest and a field that's around where people are searching and looking for answers and I've given you the answer to give to them. But you're so busy on looking for bread in the city that you got your head down walking by the people that are hurting and you look up enough to give your assessment of who you think they are based off your quickest assessment looking at your eyes but I want you today to let me show you who they are through our eyes let's just go back some of you probably figured out based off the clues I gave but you know the guy with the failed construction company who spent all his time wasting away his, his name is Noah remember the guy who was the ultimate deceiver who conned his own brother out of the family will who's now wanted on charge of identity theft his name is Jacob the guy who grew up in the richest family who had everything to him and threw it all away on some kind of quick decision where he murdered a guy and fled the country now a fugitive his name happened to be Moses the guy that was born in an adulterous scandal who literally spent his time being accused of overthrowing the government that was considered enemy of the state number one who committed first degree murder his name is David the guy who was the coward who was not the guy you wanted to fight who guy was afraid of his own shadow who was timid and filled with fear his name happened to be Gideon the mighty man of valor the, the prostitute the woman of the night the woman shamed who lived with the companions of suffering and pain happened to be Rahab who when the Israelites went into Jericho she was the one that God shined down on and spared and actually became a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ the one with the house that's torn down in a shanty and unkept it was the eyesore of the neighborhood he happened to be the blind man in Mark chapter 8 the one who liked to hang out in the in the in the cemeteries dressed in black, who howled at the moon and frothed at the mouth. He was the demoniac who lived amongst the tombs. The traitor turned against his own countrymen, the sinner of sinners, the one who preys on the widows, the hurting. His name was Zacchaeus, the hothead, the anger management guy, the attempted murderer, the atheist was Peter, and the prosecutor. The king of injustice was Paul. You see, we all see these people today and we judge them based off their accomplishments. But don't forget, we look at Abraham and look what the problem. Abraham was, was promised a son and that was going to become Isaac. But in his impatience for the promise, he ended up making a mistake and Ishmael was created. And now we have Ishmael and Isaac still fighting to this day. But when the Bible gave the assessment of Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, it said he had great faith. He was a great faith, man of great faith. He was a man of great faith. It didn't look like he had great faith because he committed things where it looked like he was doubting. But you see, that's looking through man's eyes, but God was looking through 
His eyes, God's eyes. You see, we'll never be able to reach those that are around us in our neighborhood and the people that are across the street from us and the people that are hurting on our job and the people at our school and the people we run to in the store. We'll never be able to reach them if we only judge them with our eyes. Well, they'll never, they'll never, ever. They want nothing to do with Jesus. Well, they're completely going to reject me. Oh, they're too messed up. Look at that guy. He's got tattoos everywhere. He's got, he's got... Uh, he's got 14,000 uh, piercings. Oh, look at that woman. Look at the way she is. Oh, she certainly doesn't. Look at their Instagram page. Look at their Facebook post. They have, they have, they have so messed up. Don't, I don't want anything to do with them. But who are we to say what's really going on inside of them? Because we saw as the disciples walked by, they judged that woman. She was five times failed marriages, living with a man that wasn't her, her, her husband. This was a woman whose shame oozed out of. When you see her, she was oozing with shame. I'm more than likely she carried herself in a very in a very shameful way, carrying her weight, didn't want to make eye contact with anybody, didn't want to see anybody because she knew she was going to be rejected because of her perceived lifestyle. But in her heart, she was searching because when Jesus said, I'm going to give you water, then you're never thirst again. She didn't question. She didn't scoff. She was like, yes, feed me, feed me, feed me. And in the end, she said, I want to find the place to truly find worship because I'm seeking for true worship. Can you tell me where I'm supposed to worship? And he he looked at her and he said, I am the one where you're going to worship in spirit and the truth. And she said, you must be the Messiah. You must be the Christ. And he said, I am. They didn't even realize she was looking for the very thing that they knew, but they were too busy trying to find bread. They didn't lift up their eyes. Can I tell you this, my friend? There's going to be a come point in time, and I know we're needing, some of you are going through stuff today. You need encouragement. You need to say, you know what? God's in it. God's going to help you. You may need a, a word today to help you get through where you're going through the season you're in. Maybe a word to help you out. What You know what? God can do all that, but there comes a point in time He's never going to answer every prayer. He's never going to make your life perfect. You're going to get up in the morning. You're going to deal with her. You're going to have disappointment. There's going to be things done to you that are wrong. There's going to be a point in time where you're going to go through stuff in this world that God's not going to do anything about. But He didn't leave you here to just go through pain and suffering. He left you here because there are people that are crying out, Jesus, in somebody. I need to find you and I don't know how to find you. Would you please send somebody? If you would let God right now, my friend, let you hear the sounds of your neighbors. I know that neighbor next to you gets on your nerves. I know that neighbor next to you seems like they're the ultimate jerk. I know that woman next to you drives you crazy. I know that man at work that just absolutely just has it out for you. I know that woman at work that always gives you problems. I know that, I know what you think you see when you look at them, but my friend, I want you to ask God, God, let me see them the way you see them. Let me see them the way you are. Because when you look at them, you're not going to see them for who they are. You're going to see them for the way God sees them. You're going to see that some of those people with the hardest and most crusted exterior are actually the people with the softest heart that are crying out in their bedroom at night, God, I don't know who you are, but if you're out there, would you please show yourself to me? And we who know the light, we know the truth, are too busy walking into the city to get bread because we think that's the spiritual thing. We're following Jesus and therefore we're meeting the needs of Jesus. And he said, you know, you're missing it. If I wanted bread, I've got bread. I didn't send you into the city to get bread. I sent you on a mission because I wanted to see if you're going to get caught up in your immediate need. Or are you going to look to the purpose that I put you here for? If I wanted bread, I got bread. If I want if I want, I can make bread of fear. Man, I can make these waters. I can make these stones into bread. I can make five loaves and two fishes into a gourmet meal. It's not about food, my friend. It's about the need. And you're too busy in your moment that you miss the need in front of you. And when they walked back, they still didn't get it. And finally said, get your eyes up. Stop looking at people with your eyes. I've been trying to teach you to look at people through my eyes because there's going to be a certain time where I'm going to go to my father and I'm leaving you here, Peter. And I imagine this was one of these was at Peter. And he looked at Peter and said, Peter, it's going to be a day where I'm going to send you down to the house of a praying man. And he's not going to be the same ethnicity to you. He's actually not even going to be someone you want to associate with. You are Jew. He's a Gentile. You are Jew. He's a Roman. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a man that's going to be crying out to me, wanting to know who I am, wanting to find who I am. And if you don't learn to get your eyes up and look at the field that's before you, you're going to miss out on the opportunity for an entire house to find me. Get your eyes up, Peter.
So I can tell you today, do you know why you're still here? Do you know why your purpose is here? It's not to make you have your best life now. It's not to make your life perfect. You're here because there are people that God is placing you, not me as pastor, not any of the spiritual ones, but you. God is placing you in their life because he wants you to be the light that shines. He wants to shine his light through you. You know, that list tells me two things. Number one, it tells me not to judge a book by a cover because here are all these people, here are their issues. If we wanted to make an assumption, here's how we could have we could look at David as King David, the one after dies on heart. We can look at him as a man who committed first degree murder, enemy of the state, born in an adulterous scandal. That's the kind of guy we could see if we wanted to, but yet we choose to see a guy after God's on heart. That tells me two things. Number one, God sees things differently. But number two, that also tells me and gives me hope. There's a lot of junk in my life that if I'm not careful, I'm going to allow myself to be labeled by or I'm going to let the world label me. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Once a drug addict, always a drug addict. Once a failure, always a failure. Once a cheater, always a cheater. That's what the world wants to label. But can I tell you this? That when Christ comes in you and you're washed in the blood of Jesus, that you are no longer who you used to be, but you are who God made you. Yes, there may have been times where I struggle with those things, but today I'm a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things new. So when the devil comes a knocking, the voice of shame comes whispering in my ear, trying to tear me down. I can look back at that voice. I can look into that darkness of shame and I say, you are not going to accuse me for something God has set me free of. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying today. Stop listening to the voice of accusation and pick up the mantle of truth. You are a child of God. He set you free. You no longer bound by what you used to be, but you are who God has made you to be in Jesus name. But can I challenge us as a body? I believe the Lord has been speaking to this in my heart the last couple of months. And I finally got the liberty to tell you this today that God's trying to get Antioch West to get our eyes up to not be focused on our own world and our own problems because there are literally people we're passing every day that we don't even realize because we're judging them by what we see we're judging them because they're 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 flying a certain striped flag i'll just be that way they're flying a certain striped flag outside their door so we thought well we can't go by there they definitely want or we see them with their certain political viewpoint or certain ideology or they have a certain way they dress or a certain way they look they'll never want anything to do with this if that's the case the bible would be replete with failed people but yet we see a bible that's full of those who had things about their life that were wrong and messed up but we see the love of jesus christ that's able to reach into the worst situation and find power love forgiveness So can I tell you today in Jesus' name, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes that we can see. Open our eyes that we can stop looking at those around us through our eyes. But God, today, in the name of Jesus, open our eyes that we can see those around us, our neighbors, our friends, our family, our co-workers, those that are with us at school, those we pass at the store, those that we come in contact with in our daily walk. Lord, would you open our eyes in Jesus' name that we can see them the way you see them, that we do not judge them with the viewpoint of our own religious ideology or the viewpoint of how the world has classified them but we would see them like you see them father that we would see the hurt we see the pain we would see the emptiness and that you would give the grace to us to speak the words you've given us to speak in jesus name there is a world my friend that's hurting there's a world out there that's seeking to know and god is not coming back There's not a second coming of Jesus Christ. Yes, he's coming back to get his church, but he's not coming back to die for the world. He's already done that once, but he left you and I here. He's empowered you and I. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that when we receive the Holy Ghost, we will receive the power to the authority, the power to become witnesses. We have everything we need to be the witness. It's in us through the Spirit of God. You don't have to know every verse in the Bible. You don't have to know how to quote the Bible from back to front. You just need to know how to see them with the eyes of Jesus Christ. My wife and I are dealing with that now. We have some people in our in our lives right now that if you would look at them through one lens, you would go, wow, 
man, whew, that, you don't want anything to do with those people. But God is working on us and he's showing us things about those people that now instead of looking at them like, oh my God, they're just get, get away. We're looking at them with compassion and love saying, God, whatever you have to do, Lord, let them find you and see you. I'm telling you this, if you do this, when you go to work tomorrow, that person that's been driving you crazy, instead of you avoiding them, you're going to have compassion on them. I'm not saying it's going to make them treat you any better, but when they treat you the way they are, you're going to love them back. The Bible says, love them, love your enemies, be kind and love those who despitefully use you. How in the world do you do that? Are we supposed to be Christians that are just pushovers, that you just take advantage of us because we're just so weak, because we have Jesus, so therefore we're so weak? No, it's because when we see you, we don't see you for the way you act. We see you for the way you are. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. The world says you're a jerk, but God sees the broken and the hurting and the insecurities inside of you that you're covering up with that fasir, with, with that facade but if we let ourselves be look at certain things there are certain people we're going to walk away from because we're seeing through our eyes i pray today in jesus name that you would allow god to open up your eyes that you can see with his eyes thank you for joining us today god bless you I hope you're challenged by this word today and that you don't just take it as just a, a few minutes of a of a madman with a with a passionate passionate plea, but you would take this as it is. It's God speaking to you today because he's trying to get you to see something. Would you let the revelation of the word of God open your eyes today in Jesus' name? God bless you. Please come back. Join us tonight, 7.30, right at home. Tuesday talks at 7.30 on Tuesdays. God bless you. Those of you that are part of life groups, Get ready to jump in your life groups. This is going to be a good one to unpack. Let's dive into this one and let's really take this word, digest it and apply it because God's ready to work in our lives and God is ready to see a world find him through you and I in Jesus name.